It's Melissa Bernstein, the founder of Melissa and Doug. If you have toddlers, you have Melissa and Doug in your home like I do. She built a brand as the mother of six kids. I need to know how she focused on the brand while taking care of six kids. She struggled with existential depression and she's made it something that's okay to talk about. Here's my episode with Melissa Bernstein. Hi, Melissa. Hi. I am so excited to talk to you. Thank you for doing this. Oh my gosh. I'm excited to talk to you too. You're my dream guest because you built a brand. You built the brand. You've been with your husband for 30 years. You can give me marriage advice. Um, You're you're candid about your mental health. There's so many things I want to chat with you about. So I seriously cannot thank you enough. Well, nothing is off limits. You had six kids. Will you say seven with Doug? Yeah. No, he's like more than six kids. <laughs> like like a dozen with Doug. I want to start there. Like, how did you meet Doug and build this empire like you and your husband? Gosh, I met Doug when I was 19 years old. Whoa. <laughs> so I have known him for well over half of my life. Right. Which is crazy. And the even crazier thing is we started our toy company when we were just dating. Wow. He always says this funny thing that we conceived a toy company out of wedlock because (laughs) we were literally boyfriend and girlfriend and decided to pool our meager savings and start this toy company. Wow. What sparked it? Like you just, there was nothing like it at the time. So you didn't have your kids. No, it was our first child. Wow. Yeah, it was. (laughs) What inspired it? You know, we were both doing things that didn't serve our souls. And, you know, basically I felt like a flower without water and sunlight. I was pretty much wasting away, wondering, really having an existential meaning crisis that I had had my whole life, but this made it even worse. And he was similarly, I think, just uninspired. And we knew there had to be something like better and a reason to get out of bed each day. So we planned this faithful weekend away in the Berkshires of Massachusetts. And we said, we are not coming home until we decide what we want to do with our lives. And that was the, that was the weekend. Wow. And now you're a household name. I guess. Yes. Oh, you're, you're a household name in this household. Um, Thank you just building a brand with, well, he was your partner at the, I mean, not your husband, but how was that? Like, cause I, I can't even imagine working with my husband that closely. And you've been together for 30 years to build this successful brand. Was it challenging? Did you ever have like different opinions on things and where the brand should go? And how did you handle that? That's an amazing question. And now, you know, we mentor so many young entrepreneurs and it really is just I guess you'd call there's a word in Judaism. It's bisher. It means meant to be. And we're just meant to be in the fact that when you look at two business partners, and if you think about a business as a circle and you sort of want to fill every quadrant of the circle, Mm -hmm. we are both opposite halves of the circle. Nice. So just by lock karma, Bashert, uh, we happen to be different sides of the circle because we're both type a plus, 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 plus. We're really dogmatic in what we believe. We are so competitive. We fight to the, to the like 
end. Mm -hmm. And I think if we were both the same size of the circle, we never would have made it together. You compliment each other. We do. And it works. He basically fills my gaps and I fill his, and it formed the, the perfect circle. I love that. And when you had your kids, you had six kids. At what point did you have kids? And like, were you building a brand and raising toddlers? Because that's where I live right now. And I have a lot of guilt. Like, I feel like I should be with my kids. And when I'm with my kids, sometimes I'm thinking about this. And I, I like to talk to strong women who have built brands and maybe can help me through this because I want this to succeed, but I don't want it at the expense of missing my kid's childhood. Wow. You just, you just nailed it, uh, on on the head. You know, (laughs) that is what all we working mothers deal with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have done so many things wrong in my life and made so many mistakes, but I think the one thing that I feel really good about was from the beginning, I knew that I needed something in my life other than kids alone, you know, because kids are external. They ultimately become sort of an external validation. And I knew that I would not be whole unless I sowed some seed of self-expression in my soul and brought my inside out. So that was so critical to me from the beginning that I knew I had to have both. Mm -hmm. And because I was so terrified of my kids ever thinking that they weren't the only thing I needed, I made it clear from the very, very beginning to them how this was so important to me and that this helped me to be the best mom I could be. And I also saw it very clearly as, because I have four daughters and two sons, Mm -hmm. especially for my daughters. If I want to show them that they can do anything they want and they can have a family, they can have a business, they can do anything they want. Then I had to be a role model for that. And if I showed them at any point, that I was conflicted and I didn't want to be working. And when I was with them, I wasn't happy with them. And no matter what I did, I was unhappy, which so many women communicate because (laughs) they haven't yet accepted the fact either that they want to work and, and they're, they're ashamed to tell their kids that they want to work or they don't want to work. And they haven't dealt with the the fact that they need to work to support their family. So either way, they haven't come to terms with the reality, which means they're giving a conflicted message to their kids, which sets their kids up to think they can't do everything and they can't have both. That is genius. I am giving such a conflicting message, trying to make it sound like this isn't that important. You are what's important, not my work. And it's totally like mommy's working. And then I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Like I'll, I'll come over. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not, I'll go to bed almost like in tears. Like tomorrow I'm going to be present and locked in with them. And then I get an email in the morning and I'm on my computer and it's like, mommy, are you working? Do you have to work? And I think I have a lot of noise. Uh, I'm in a unique situation. My husband retired from the NFL and I don't have to work. And I told him that I wasn't going to work. And I truly, Melissa, like That is what I felt. I couldn't wait to be a mom. I said I was going to be a stay at home mom and I changed my mind and I feel bad about that, but it's what you just said. I wasn't fulfilled. And if I didn't get up every day and have this, like a creative outlet, like my show or just writing a post or 
talking to the women that I help with like eating disorder recovery. This is, I know what I'm supposed to do. And I feel like, because I kind of switched it on him, like my husband was like, wait, now you need, now you're working. And a lot of more is falling on him who as a retired athlete, he doesn't work. But if I do yes. this, I have guilt that I have to ask him, like I'm interviewing Melissa Bernstein, like take the kids. And I feel some noise about that, but I, I, how do I? Yes. So <laughs> here's the other piece of it. Then you have to clearly communicate to everyone involved because they're all part of it, mm -hmm. how much this means to you and bring them into it. So every moment of every day, I tell my kids how important what I do is to me, what it does for the world. Yes. And I show them that it's okay to have multiple passions. There's enough love for multiple, a multiplicity of things in your life. And we all have the ability to simultaneously do a multitude of things that we love. Yes. And the more you can say to them, guess what I did today. And I want to show you and come in the studio with me and you let you go on the microphone. Wouldn't this be cool if you did this one day and whatever I've done, I try to communicate to them how important it is. And I can tell you, because I'm on the other side of it, right? My yeah. oldest is 28. Yeah. That not one of my kids has ever said anything, but when I'm a mom and I'm, and I'm working wow. and it's not even a question for them. I it's it. a, it's, you know, and they always even talk about their, who's going to take care of their kids. I want my <laughs> nanny. I want my, which I <laughs> laugh because like even that modeling and the other thing we working women have to do. I don't know about you. I was so envious of the relationship my kids had with the babysitters at the beginning, mm -hmm. because again, that guilt that I have to be the one they, they come to for everything. And the fact that they're like wanting to be consoled by my babysitter, what does that say? Like, yeah. I'm not. And then I, so I was like suffering and really just feeling that because I needed them. I needed the relationship to be great. So yeah. I could work. You wanted to I like her, like, but not that much, <laughs> but I was angry that they, that they liked her so much. Yeah. And then I realized kind of the, 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 the saying it takes a village. I realized that again, if I saw the babysitters differently, if, if I saw them as part of my family and they could just as easily be a grandma or an aunt. Cause we, we got these beautiful older women. Like, why couldn't I think of them as a family member? Yeah. And if I did, and I said, they're part of raising my child. And if my kids love them, then that's even better than they have another person who loves them and they love. And I, I reframed my negative mindset, which was like anyone they love other than me is bad <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the more people who can love them and they can love, then that allows me to go to work and feel really good about what's happening at home. And then it allows them to feel okay about my leaving. Um, but it doesn't mean over the years they would they would hang on my leg and they'd say, why can't you be like all the other mommies who help out in the class? Yes. And it doesn't mean there weren't moments that I had to say, 
because, you know, this, this business, I, I make toys for other children is really important. And I, I know it, it's, it's tough for you, but you know, when I come home, I'm going to share a story or I'm going to, I'm going to do something special with you. Um, and, and it just, it just worked over time. I can't, I hesitate to say that it's important to me. Cause I, to me, that was saying that this is important and they're not as important. So I never have thought of saying it that way. And when did you reframe in your mind, you know, this is what I'm going to do. People can help out. It's all a village. Like, were they older? Cause I, mine are so young that they still like my son's three and a half. He's potty trained most of the time, but like, he still needs me. And I, I think I have guilt about that, that like, should I be doing this when they're a little bit older, but I got an opportunity and I took it. And now I'm like, I still have this noise. Like they're growing up. And while they're home with me, like I'm not, I'm missing it. Like I'm not, I'm talking like I'm, I'm doing something that I know matters, but how do they feel about it? Like, I'm so in my head about that. When did you reframe it? Were they older? No. Okay. I did. I did. I was suffering to such a degree when I was at work. I couldn't enjoy work yes. because I was feeling a FOMO about everything I was missing at home. Mm -hmm. And then I'd come home and I'd be like, I was thinking about them. I wasn't giving all to work and I'd be at home with them thinking about all the things that I didn't do at work. And I'd be like, I wasn't present when I was in that meeting. And I was yep. like worried about what was going on. And I was, it was so much suffering. I was like, I am not doing justice to either one of these things. Like, and I've always been someone who I, I, I can't stand wallowing. Like it makes <laughs> me, it just, it's such a waste of energy mm -hmm. that I was like, I have to, I have to come to terms with this. It started by my saying, even if I'm only home for two hours that they're awake each day, which sometimes was the case, I'm going to make those two hours only about them. And mm -hmm. it is literally going to be, I'm talking crystal clear, undivided focus, which is just the two of us. And I realized that no matter, even if it's 10 minutes, if you're only focused on them and you show them that they're the most important thing in your life, it's enough. Okay. It's more than enough because many moms who stay at home don't even give them 10 minutes of undivided attention all day. So you know, true. so it's all about intention. So I started by that. And then I felt really good about that. Even though I knew it could have been more time. I knew that what I was giving them was free of any and all distractions. And it was all about them. The second thing I did was for a long time, we had awful help. So terrible. Cause we couldn't afford good help. Cause we were really poor, you know, when we started wow. and, um, our help literally all day long, I was like terrified about wow. what might happen. So I, I was like, if I am, in, if I am investing in my career and I want to go to work and not feel like terrified about what's going on at home, we have to get better help. Like, and we have to make this part of our investment. Right. I mean, I can't yeah. work without it. And that was when we just little by little started like raising the ante. And I realized something profound what? that childcare is a career. Like when we couldn't afford good help, we would get folks who didn't want to be taking care of children. It was because they were forced to, and they hated it literally. And it came across, you know, and the kids didn't want to be with them. And that's when they were crying for me all day. And when I realized that there are women who literally, this is what they love and they've raised six, seven kids of their own and then decided to do this, then life changed yeah, because it, then we got, we got professionals. I'm trying to build this brand. I'm like, I can't spend money on a nanny so I can do this when I'm not making enough here yet. Like it's always this, I don't know, maybe I just have to have more confidence in like what I'm building and 
you, like you said, you had to do it so you could work. If I want to do this, maybe I get help. And I haven't considered that yet. Cause I'm just like, no, I have to, if I'm going to take this on, I need to take it on and nothing else is going to drop because before I was handling all these things. So if I'm going to take on one more thing, nothing, it's got to still be the same. And I'm drowning. (laughs) I, you are good. Good childcare is worth it's priceless. Yeah. And that was when, when we got, we got two incredible grandmas mm-hmm. who had raised families of their own, who were warm and maternal and could do anything, could cook, could clean. They'd hold a baby in one hand. They were, they were calm. Yeah. And like, it was just, it was like, it was like I could breathe again. And then I could go to work and know that like my kids were in good hands. So that was part of it. And then I could go to work and focus on work. And that's when I started verbalizing it. And I started verbalizing it. It's not just to the kids, it's to your partner too. Like you have to say to everyone in your life, listen, like this matters to me. This is the only way I can feel good enough to give you the best of me. And it's really true. Like for those of us who have to work for our souls, yes. I mean, there's no choice. And if our partners can't accept that and, and support it, then, you know, something it's not going to work. So I think (laughs) it's, it's Oh, you're doing this interview. And do you think if I do this at 12, do you think you could pick him up at this time? And I always feel anxiety about just bringing that to him because I did tell him I didn't want to work. I did, but I never saw this coming. I wasn't going to write a book. I wasn't going to tell anyone about my depression and my eating disorders. My life took a big shift and I know that this is what I'm supposed to do now. And he's getting on board, but I think he just assumed I would be dealing with the kids as I told him I would. And it's not that anymore. And it happened quick. And I think we're still kind of transitioning into what our new normal looks like. And I don't know. You have to, you have to take him through the journey and make sure that he understands that like, this wasn't a bait and switch. Exactly. I think that's what he thinks. was a call, a call of your soul that you had to heed and that you have no choice. Like when you're called by something, you know, it sounds spiritual, but, but like you, you have to heed it. And then it's really important that you just make it clear to everyone in your life, how important it is because kids sense ambivalence, everybody senses ambivalence. And if there's ambivalence, they will go right for the jugular. Meaning if they know that you're feeling bad about they're going to, they're going to jump on that. They're going to make you feel even worse because they're going to see that you're weak. And <laughs> they do see that I show I'm weak. them they do. And, the, and, and they're going to go right. The people sense that that's like our survival of the fittest function and they want you. So if they see you're weak, they're going to jump on your weakness. Whereas if you're strong, if you're like, this is what mommy has to do, even if you don't feel it, you know, fake it till you make it. Like you have to say, I I need to, I need to be there to support. And again, when you think about all the other people you're helping and the fact that this is connecting you to humanity in such a beautiful way, the more, even at three and a half, I would tell my kids every night stories about what I did 
and how important it was to me and how, and say, say to them, what are you going to do when you get older? Like what yeah. is going to be your special passion, you know, that comes from your heart. So the Love more it. you can show them that this is not only a good thing, it's essential for them to, 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 to be their best. Yeah. Then it'll become the norm rather than this really like uncomfortable, weird thing. Yeah. And they'll be super proud of you. I think what's funny about it is like, I am showing them ambivalence and that I'm questioning. I am so confident in what I'm building and I know where I want this to go. And I love, I'm not going to stop doing it. I almost feel like I shouldn't say that, like, because this is my job and this is my family. So I, I try to, and I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud. <laughs> like I act like it's smaller than it is because yes, I'm yes. my family and I don't want anyone to think that I'm putting too much into this, but I yep. totally believe in it. But I feel like moms yeah. aren't supposed to say that. Like you're supposed to say, you know, it's about you guys. I mean, if I can't do it, I can't do it, but I'm like moving things around to make work happen. And I, I I'm confident in it, but I feel like I shouldn't say that to them. I should, I should act as if it's just my little fun side thing. Right. So you realize this is, <laughs> this is societal. Yeah, like you I are do. still dealing with a societal myth that women can't do both. Yeah. And it's still ingrained somewhat in you from whether it's, you know, your, your childhood, your conditioning, like this sense that you have to be only a mom to be effective. Mm -hmm. And that's not true at all. I mean, I can tell you, like I've read so many studies there's no correlation. It's about your intention as a mom. Mm -hmm. You can be a stay at home mom and a terribly inattentive mom and, yeah. and your kids can grow up feeling unloved, or you can be a working mom and a terribly inattentive mom. So if you're a working mom and you care about your kids and you give them everything you can, and you, again, you give them weekends and you give them vacations. So you, you have to be present it's hard um, for but, me, which present very hard. Like, how did you give them two hours and you're like, it ended up being 10 minutes and they were so engaged with you, but I can't shut it off. Like I, I don't have help. Like, obviously I don't have a nanny, but I don't have like an assistant. Like I'm booking my guests and prepping for shows and prep, like doing press for my show. And I'm all, I can't shut it off. Even when I'm sitting with the kids, I can't, stop thinking about it. Like, I don't know how to do that. I'm always, I'm never present. How did you shut it off okay. to say, I'm giving this time to my kids when it's your baby, your other baby. <laughs> I mean, sheer, it's, it's sheer will. Like, so you have a few choices, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if you feel you can't shut it off, you either, you either have to have a transition every day when you're, when you're done work, mm -hmm. you have to give yourself and that becomes part of your practice. 20 minutes becomes a walk around the block. And in that walk, you're coming back. You've been in work. You're coming back home mm -hmm. to where you're going to be present. And it becomes a practice. You know, you, you become mindful and you do a mindful walk where you're like focusing on your steps and your breath. And because you can't, you can't go from you know, that, and then being with the kids. <laughs> that's and me. that's why it's, you, you're not giving yourself that, that transition, transition time. Yes. You, you have to have it. And that's why a lot of folks like in our area, there's people commute into the city, or at least they used to on the train. Mm -hmm. And many folks said that train time became 
like essential to their life because that was their grounding time. So that when they stepped off the train back into their town, they were yes. ready to go into the house with all the, you know, mommy, mommy, or daddy, yep. daddy. Yep. So, so I think you, you, again, it's prioritization and being deliberate about yes. like crafting your life to be how you want it to be. And then the other, obviously over time, what you should do is all the superfluous stuff. That's not your special gift. You know, you, you've got to, you've got to give to somebody else. And there's so many, there's <laughs> how do you so delegate it's so easy. No, I'd be They're, looking over there. Like, uh, what are you doing over there? Like, don't post that. Can I look at it first? I would be micromanaging it. I know I would. How did you trust? Well, because there comes a point when you just can't do it all and there is no choice for yeah. your mental well-being. <laughs> so, and, and the way you can do it, you know, um, inexpensively is, you know, you're probably fairly close to Emory. I like, am. I mean, get a couple interns okay. that are, would be, this would be their dream to work with someone like you. They're going to be like, I mean, my daughter now is working for a, you know, some, someone doing something similar and like, you know, she, she's an inc the best assistant you could ever imagine. Like they're so overqualified. Yes. And, and they know social media. I'm 40. And they so know like a 20 year old is going to know yes. it way better. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. And okay. they'll, they'll love it. They that's for the resume. Like these days, anything that sounds and everybody wants to be in this field, you you'll get a hundred, you'll, you'll, you won't even be able to deal with the applicants you get. It'll be so great. And, um, so, so I would do that and I would start small, like things that you're writing. No, no. that's you. Yeah. Like where you touch the end user stays you. We're talking about scheduling. Yeah. We're talking about like stuff that if God forbid, there's a mistake, there's a mistake. And I'm like pitching. I like pitching. Like I sent the email to you to what I wanted to talk to you about, but sometimes like right now I'm in a great spot where I have like eight guests that I really wanted all lined up. So I don't have to worry about guests, but when I'm just looking for guests. I don't have the time to just research. I want to research the guests once I have them, but just finding I'm out there just looking for people that would be interesting to talk to. I finally learned to start talking to other people because Melissa Joan Hart just casually mentioned that she knew Melissa, Melissa and Doug. And I was like, and then I started reading about you and I was like, oh my gosh, everything that you're about, like building a brand mental health. And it was a perfect. So maybe I, I delegate some of the findings so I don't spend so much time there. Um, and I can work on actual content creation, like videos and editing and doing my show because I'm doing it all right now. <laughs> exactly. It is what you do. You write down every single thing you're doing now, which you're going to be shocked when you, when you write them all down, yeah. it's going to be like 50 things. Yeah. And then you put next to it, the things that you have to continue doing and the things that can be delegated. Okay. I love it. Um, it's that easy. And then you get yourself a couple kick-ass interns yes. who are going to be so full of energy and pizzazz yeah. that you're not even going to know what hit you. And they're going to be able to do, they're going to love this. If you say research guests that yeah. I can have on the show, they're going to come back with things and you're going to, it's going to have blown your mind. Yes. You I'm excited. Going, <laughs> okay. You are going to be 
overwhelmed. Thank you. I'm going to do that. We covered all the mompreneur stuff. I obviously also wanted to talk to you because you're so candid about your mental health and what you've built now. When did you start struggling with the existential depression? Was it recent or was that as you were building the brand? When did that creep in? It was from my very first breath, literally. Whoa. I, when I was two, I was already asking, why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Oh my and what God. am I meant to do with my, my time here? Wow. So it, it just, uh, I was born really unsettled and very uncertain what I was meant to do in my brief time here on earth. I wouldn't even know like that, that would be existential depression. I just thought like most people question what's for them, why they're here. Like what is in store for them and kind of have anxiety about that or anxious about what's next or what am I going to, how did you know it was an actual, like, I guess, mental illness versus just questioning your purpose. Like I thought everyone did. I mean, I didn't like the, the dots only started to connect when I was about 48 years old. Wow. So I went through life just really feeling this sense that there was no meaning to life. And my time here was futile. So I think when it crosses the line, you know, mine became what's called existential nihilism, which is a sense that there's no meaning to existence. And we, as people have no ability to make meaning in a meaningless existence. So that is dire yeah. and that's desperate. And that was when, um, I was at my, you know, my real low, but ultimately I ended up incredibly really embracing what is called existentialism, which was the opposite. Yeah. It's actually realizing that we as humans can take responsibility and have the capacity to make meaning in our lives through our choices and our actions and our attitudes. And that became like, I went from truly wallowing in a state of victimization. Like I am powerless against this fate that I have an inability to control mm -hmm. to actually taking charge of my destiny and making meaning pretty incredible. Yeah. Like, how did you make that? <laughs> it was three different paths. You know, the first, which only came when I was really old was starting therapy because I had the mindset that I was perfect and I had to be perfect. I shouldn't say I didn't think I was perfect, but I was trying to be perfect. Perfectionism. And yeah. Perfectionism means you can't admit that you need help. And I would never like my whole life, even if someone tried to open a door, I would almost like hit their arm away. I'd be like, <laughs> I don't need help. Right. And it was this sense. It was like the chip on my, my shoulder, you know, was like, I don't need anyone. I can do this alone. And those are usually the people that are need the most help. The ones that say they don't. Are you first um, born by chance? Same. Yep. I study it. It's something a perfectionist, obsessive personality, everything you're describing. I could tell me too. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And it is innate in me. And I, I read so much about perfectionism that actually um, it is believed that you are born with it. And it was part of my existential sensitivity was this need that I have to keep doing and being the best to kind of rise above the, the despair that I, that I felt. So I had to finally get to the point where I was so 
exhausted from resisting and denying and disassociating and putting on the shiny face and pretending it was all great that I kind of almost collapsed when I was, you know, it was this sense at about 48 that I, I just, I can't keep racing out there outside externally mm-hmm. for validation. Yes. And the cry of literally my, my soul was getting so loud, like see me, accept me. I want to show who I am that I finally was like, I, I gotta, I gotta get some help. I got to go inward. I knew I couldn't do it on my own because it was like too terrifying in there. Yeah. Um, oh my so God. I, so, I relate to that so much. Did your yeah, family so know? God help. Did they know Nobody you were struggling? Knew. Same. Nope. With, I wow. didn't even know. Is it I mean, pride? I was, like you didn't want people to see you as having this flaw. Like it was almost like having a shame that there was maybe something not perfect. That's why they didn't know. It was a lot of that, but it was a lot of disassociation. So mm. I had this voice for about 20 years that basically told me to end my life because oh my it was, God. it was meaningless and I would accomplish nothing. And the only way I survived was to, to just hide it, to, to move so quickly and do things so consistently 24 seven, like every moment of every day I was moving. So it wasn't like the type of depression. It was the opposite. It was a, a go, go, go. need to go, go, go yeah. and never sit still because then the voice would start to come up. So I really disassociated from it. And I put on this shiny face that became who I was. I wasn't thinking like I got to hide it. It was just the only thing I knew from the time I was like two years old. Wow. So I was hiding it from myself too. How about you? I, so many things that they're the same. I was first born perfectionist and I just had this obsessive personality. Like whatever I was doing was like times a hundred. And it sounds so like, Oh, Aaron is so driven. Like I had a 4.2 GPA. I, if I got an A minus, I would wake up the next day. Like our geometry teacher would be like, if you come in at seven school started at eight, you can retake it. And I would go in at seven to get the A and my sisters would be like, we got a B, but it wasn't acceptable to me. Like I held myself to this almost unachievable standard. So I was never satisfied. I was homecoming queen. I was prom queen. I was captain of the soccer team and we won two state championships. And I felt like I had to uphold all of that. And nobody knew how bad I was struggling because it was almost like, I didn't want to let anybody down. Like, I don't want them to know, like I'm all these things and I had to be those things. But inside, like in high school, I was struggling with anorexia. Um, I ended up playing soccer in college. And when I quit my soccer career and lost that identity, I fell into depression, struggled with bulimia for 10 years. And the only reason I didn't go, I knew I needed help, especially with the bulimia. I couldn't stop. Um, but then people would know. So the shame of what I was doing, it was so shameful. And bulimia is such a secretive, isolating act that I didn't get help so that other people wouldn't know what I was doing. And then I truly thought I would just go to the grave with this. Like, thank God I stopped doing it. Um, nobody found out. And then I kind of got, got in shape, got just kind of found myself. I would say at 37 after having two kids. And I said, I'm going to write a book to a woman that is struggling. And for me, it was just like the, the, the physical, um, working out all the time, obsessing. Like I did, if you just live your life with balance and do these things, like this could help you. And I got a writing coach and she's like, are you a nutritionist? Uh, are you a trainer? And I was like, no. And she's like, 
why would anyone listen to this? Like you have no credibility. And I was like, well, trust me, like I've been through it. And I finally found something that works. And she's like, you have to write your story. And I kept saying like, nobody knew Melissa. Like I couldn't, I was like, no, I just want to help women. And then she was like, you have to tell your story. And when I wrote my story before she even read it, it was just out on paper. I felt lighter. I felt like I could breathe. And I put the, I sent it to her and she was like, this is your book. Like this struggle and this path that you took to get to finding balance. So I reworked everything and I put it out and the messages that I get from other women that are like me too. And no, I haven't told anyone except you. My husband doesn't know. I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing and I will continue to do it. And I, I was going live on Instagram uh, during the pandemic, honestly, like, what am I supposed to do with this two and a four-year-old? What is everybody doing? And I would have people like pour a cocktail and uh, join me every Thursday night where it was something for moms to look forward to. And it was just like an entertaining thing for like my small following. Well, I started like booking guests, like uh, doing like a talk show and I was booking like bigger guests and it became like this little thing, but that's all I thought it was. And you never know who's watching because a radio station in DC, the program director was watching every week. She calls me out of the blue and was like, we want to give you a show on podcast one. We'll produce it. We'll promote it for you. And I took it. And now I think I have guilt about that. Cause I was like, yes. And I, that still kind of sits like I said, I wasn't going to do it. Now I have the show. And, but I know that I was called to do this. And I think, like you said, if I just reframe it as I need to do this and it's not a question of choosing it, this is, this was almost chosen for me. Like you're reframing that for me. But as far as like the mental illness, eating disorders, all of it was secretive. And I built my community by sharing it because there are so many people that feel the same way, but someone has to say it out loud first. Exactly. These, these, these afflictions are so lonely and it's crazy that, and, and for me, I never really had an authentic friendship. It's so sad because I was such a shell of a person who could mm-hmm. never show any self empathy. I really never was anything but like a shoulder to lean on for other people. So I yeah. never had these beautiful, mutually sustaining relationships And only once I came out and sort of shared who I really was, now I have like more friends than I ever even, (laughs) that I can even handle. And I laughed so hard because it was like, here I was trying to hide it, thinking that was going to give me friends. And it was the opposite. I had no friends. And now, right now it's like, oh my gosh, I have all these beautiful friendships, like way too many to to even, you know, uh, give the level of attention that they deserve. You have the opposite problem. (laughs) It's scary. It's scary to show your authentic self, but it's so worth it. And your life just becomes so much more meaningful and the connection that you find with everyone. And you're not, I don't know, you see all these Instagram pages where it's just these like contrived, like perfectly manicured pages. And I used to be the same way. Like I would take a picture and of my son or something and be like, Oh my, look at this toy room. And I wouldn't post it, but it's like, post it. Like, that's what people relate to. That's what their toy room looks like too. And you don't have to portray this perfect, like that people connect when you show who you authentically are, but it's scary to do it at first. (laughs) And now that you do, do you feel like you share everything? I share, like, I'll be talking to people and they're like, Oh, because my big one is out. I'm like, what else? It's, it's so exact. I share everything. And people are kind of like, yeah, but that's what, like, that's living your authentic life. It sure is. And what what you also have to realize is to find meaning, all of us, we have to do something that takes something in our soul 
and impacts others. The only way we find meaning is by serving. Yeah. So if you had that void in your life, you were in essence having a meaning crisis, which is why you have to do this and why all moms, if they're just simply living through their kids are going to all fall into some form of despair. You cannot only live through your kids' achievements because then they become the external validation for your sense of worth. So all of us doesn't necessarily even have to be like a, a job, but we have to do things that like sow those seeds of self-expression. So that when you say this is something that I have to do, it, it is humanity has to do it. Like mm-hmm. every single one of us does. And one of the reasons I believe we're at such a state of, you know, depression is because so many of us have never either discovered or have lost sight of those things that we do to truly connect something inside us with humanity yes. in a deep way. I didn't have that when I was, I want to say just a mom, when I was home with my right. kids, I didn't feel fulfilled. And I was scared to say that out loud, but yes. I needed something for me. Like I get I, like an adrenaline rush when I just write a new blog post or something, something that I'm creatively putting out into the world. And if you, yes. you're feeling like you don't have that, you haven't found your purpose yet, make your pain, your purpose. They say like, make your mess, yes. your message, whatever you went through, look back on that. Cause it, you can surely help someone else who may still be in the mess now and show them a way out of it. And then you find purpose in your life. Um, you wrote a book, you wrote lifelines, like what inspired you once you kind of work through it to share your story? You know, it's the same exact thing that you said. Our story is our authenticity. And when we don't share our story, we are living an inauthentic life. And, and for me, I couldn't do it any longer. I had to say, you know, maybe if I can share these deep, dark secrets and sort of all those journal writings from my entire life, maybe this will give others the courage to share their story as well and come out of the dark into the light. And for me, it was really just one point in time because the irony is after I told it and after I got it out there, I was almost ready to be, to be done with it. Like now I'm past my story and I'm, I'm now I've created a practice so that I can kind of be my best self and I'm sharing those tools with others. And now it's really about how we all can realize our full potential and make meaning. Cause yeah. at the end of the day, it's about meaning. It's about ending our days right? Sort of at at those final breaths saying, did I live a life true to myself? And am I content with what I did with my, my one wild and precious life? And most of us, the one number one regret of people on their deathbeds is I never lived a life true to myself. Mm. So my, you know, my hope is that I can help more people channel their darkness into light and make meaning. Uh, but to do so, you kind of have to make that journey inward and accept yourself. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that has to be done if you truly want to live an authentic life. And you do the work now, like the book has evolved past and now you do workshops. We're a full ecosystem now. So we're making products. We have, we're making right now we're, we're writing a curriculum, which is, uh, my, my practice because after I, I shared the story and kind of came out of that, that dark 
um, shadowy place. I was like, okay, I'm here now. I'm a full spectrum of emotion. Now (laughs) what? Right. How do I, how do I protect myself from either falling so low? I can't get out of the abyss or as a white space creative, I can go so high into the beautiful, boundless expanse of imagination that I, I fear I won't come down because it's so beautiful up there. Mm -hmm. So I needed a, a beacon, a tether, an anchor to, to bring me down when I'm too high up and bring me up when I'm too far down. And that became this, this practice that I call practice makes purpose. And that's kind of my, um, my own, my own tools for, for being here as my, as my, my best self every day. How can people find that? Like to reach out to you, to follow the, the new curriculum or do workshops, where can they find you? So we offer free workshops on lifelines.com and uh, we have a really amazing community. We have a Facebook group of a couple thousand people who gathered sort of from our workshops and support each other. And they do book readings and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, They do like cocktail hours. So they, they've become this very nice self-sustaining group to support each other. And if anyone is listening now, feeling like an existential depression, I hate to even bring this up. I just saw, I did you see about the um, Miss USA, former Miss USA yes. contestant? She was yes. this stunning 30 year old uh, Miss USA. As of the time that we're recording this, it was yesterday. She posted something on Instagram, like, I hope you all find peace. And she jumped no. off a 60 story no. building and no one knew how much she was struggling. So if there's somebody, like you said, that has those thoughts every day since they were younger, what do you tell that person? Like, how can they find, as you say, you had profound darkness, you turned it into radiant light. What is the first step to kind of pulling themselves towards the light? It's an amazing question. I mean, you have to reach out. You have to, because, you know, I think someone like that who has such a persona that everything's okay. Mm -hmm. We we're terrified to show others that we're struggling, right? We feel we're going to be in, and I write about it in my book. We feel like we're going to be a burden yeah. and, 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 and others are going to be horrified and which they were, by the way, you know, wow. when I shared even a little bit of what I felt, but the truth is, you know, we deserve to get the support we need. And it is very human to have these issues. So I think, um, reach out, tell somebody, and there is a whole new class of therapy called existential psychotherapy, which is purely about meaning. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with pharmacology. It's actually, it, it doesn't deal with, with medicines other than trying to really help you figure out how to make meaning in your life. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. 
Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com energyaudit energy audit.